0: You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana. Good day to you. I'm Pastor Craig Beeman. And today we're looking at the transforming power of the gospel. The transforming power of the gospel. Today, on Words of Encouragement. This morning... We're going to begin what I hope to, uh, we're going, we'll, go, we'll have a few, we may have one Sunday that uh, interrupts this topic, but actually it will not interrupt the topic, the topic will still be about the gospel, but we're going to be looking at the gospel of Christ, we're going to look at different aspects of it for the next few weeks, and uh, so I hope that you'll be able to make all of these and get a good, clear picture of the gospel uh, what it is, what it does, what it can accomplish, com- uh, what it can accomplish. Uh, and when we get to the end of these, I hope that you will have a better grasp of the gospel and the power of the gospel and what it can do in people's lives. And so that's my hope, that's my desire, is that when we get to the end of all of this, you will be able to say, I know what the gospel is. I can explain it. I know how, how powerful it is. I, I can see it. I can see that. So that's my goal is to, in the next few weeks, look at the gospel and you be able to say, hey, yes, this is the gospel and this is what it can do. Um, So we begin today looking at Acts chapter 9 and we begin looking at the transforming power of the gospel. The transforming power of the gospel. Uh, And if you are able, I'm going to ask uh, if you are able and willing to stand uh, for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Looking at Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way... Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. We look at this, this is a powerful call, a powerful call into the life of someone who was not a very nice person. And that is saying the least. He was not a very nice person. He wasn't a very kind person. Saul was just not a good person at this time. But what I want us to look at is the first is the transformation and call of Saul. Uh, and I may you may catch me you may catch me calling him Paul. So forgive me, but he's Saul here. Uh, So first let us define the word transform, transform, what does it mean to transform? I always like to get us on the same page and when I say a word you know what I mean by it and so this word transform, uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it this way, to change in composition or structure, to change the outward form or appearance of, to change in character or condition. It is a situation or person changing from one state of being to another. So the transformation of someone from one person to another. That's what's taking place here when the gospel enters someone's life. So let us look at the first state of being of this person named Saul. We pick up this story where Saul is on the road to Damascus. Why is he going? Well, he's going to tie up some Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. He is against these believers. These are believers. These are people who have accepted the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, they have accepted that reality into their lives. They've accepted the gospel message. So they've done this, and they are counted as different from the rest of the Jews. Because the rest of the Jews were like, wait a minute. We don't, no, no, no. That that guy, all that business with that man on the cross, that's not the Messiah. No, 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 no. We're still waiting. We will wait until Messiah comes. And they are not agreeing. They're not in agreement with these who have accepted the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, So here comes Saul. He's out there. He's... Out there trying to round up some Christians. He's not for them, he's against them. And his, look, look, he is breathing threats and murder against the people of God. He's breathing threats. Now, you and I, we read the Bible, we look at this, we see, okay, now Saul's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest, okay. You know, I don't know if you read sometimes like I read or used to read and still sometimes read, where you just read along. You know, you just read along, okay, yeah, he was breathing, blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What was he saying? What, what is this, breathing threats and murder? Later in Acts chapter, or later in Acts chapter, or Acts 26, actually, uh, Paul says, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus, the Nazarite. So we're seeing this motivation from Paul here in verse 26. He says, I I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. This I actually did in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, oh my goodness, really? I cast my vote against them. Now Saul... This is, he's not just rounding up Christians and putting them in jail. He's killing them. He's, he's allowing them to die because, look, his position, Saul's position, uh-uh. This Jesus, he ain't the Messiah. <laughs> he, this is not the Messiah. And so you people who are believing in him, you, need, you deserve to die. You don't, you don't need to be following this man, this one who has passed on this cross. You don't need to be concerned with him at all. And so he is saying this. Saul says this himself. He says, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. Being greatly enraged at them, I even pursued them to foreign cities. He tracked them down. He chased them down. He followed them out of the city into foreign cities. Cities that were not a part of the kingdom. I mean, boy, we're just going to track them down. Saul is not for these people. But as he travels, he has an encounter with Jesus. Look at verse 3. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice Jesus does not ask Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He doesn't ask Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Well, now, wait a minute. Saul's persecuting these people. He's he not. He, this is not, he's not persecuting Jesus. He's not doing that. How, why is Jesus saying this? Why is Jesus saying, why are you persecuting me? Saul, from Paul, from Saul's perspective, this, what? I'm not, I'm not doing anything here. Jesus is pointing out, though, that when you mess with the church, you're messing with him. That's what he's saying here. You're messing with me. You mess with my people. You're messing with me. And that is going to be a problem, because you don't mess with me. I'm a loving Savior, but I don't put up with this kind of behavior. I just don't. I just don't. So, the, so the Jesus is pointing this out to Saul. Jesus is saying, when a person is in Christ, they are truly part of the family of God. I remember when I was growing up on the playground. Um, junior high school, that's what they used to call it. <laughs> junior high school, I was on the playground, and man, it, it, it was, I don't know why, I really never understood where it came from, but somebody started, and somebody wanted to start some stuff, and all you had to do was say, were you talking about my mama?" That's all you had to do. Somebody could come up to you and say, oh, were you talking about my mama? No, you better not be talking about my mama. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And there was a fierce sense of family protection. And it's like, you're, look, you're in junior high, buddy. You know, why, why, why does it matter? Oh, but it did. It mattered to everybody on the playground. You don't talk about my family. I even had someone who had this odd sense of uh, of uh, protection, I guess you could say. Uh, they somebody was picking on me one day, and somebody said, "Don't mess with him. His dad's a preacher." And I thought, "What does it matter?" I mean, if you won't beat me up, you can beat me up. I mean, I mean, I, what can I do? I mean, what does it matter? But as if there was some big divine bubble of protection or something that was, they were going to be accursed if you messed with the preacher's kid or the minister of music's kid. I, I, I corrected him. I said, well, my dad's minister of music, and I, I, I don't know what you're meaning to say with all of this. But, you know, I was kind of glad the kid said something because the guy didn't mess with me. <laughs> he didn't mess with me. But I thought, my goodness, look at this. This is interesting. But this protective this is what Jesus says here. Look, if you have identified with me, if you have asked Christ into your heart, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit of Christ, lives inside of you, then that means you're part of the family of God. And God says, look, this is my family. These across the world, these who are believing in me, these are my family, and "...what are you doing, Saul? What are you doing?" He says, "...why are you persecuting me? Why persecutest thou me?" Blinding lights flashing all around, a question from a voice he does not recognize. What a shock this must have been for Saul. Who is this person? Who is this person? Look, in verse 5 he says, "...and he said, "...who are you, Lord?" Now, in my Bible, it's capitalized L, Lord, but it doesn't have the lowercase capitals for the rest of the word. It is this is a greeting to another person back in that day. Uh, someone you you address them, you Lord. How how who are you? You know, it was a it was a greeting. Uh, it could be translated as master, uh, but notice he's asking him, who are you? Who are you? He doesn't know this is Jesus at this point. Jesus tells Saul who he is, and he points out again, Jesus is the one being persecuted here. He gives instructions to Saul. He says, go to the city, Damascus. Go ahead, go to the city, Damascus. And you'll find out what you need to do when you get there. There it is again. There it is again. I get so frustrated sometimes. I get so frustrated when when God says, go. You'll find out what you need to do when you get there. I want to know now what I need to do when I get there. You know what? I believe sometimes God doesn't let us know what he wants us to do when we get there because sometimes if we knew, oh, we wouldn't go. Oh, my. Well, I don't know about that. I don't want to go there. Oh, God. Well, I don't know about that. But if we don't know and God gets us there and he moves in our heart, he tells us what to do, we're there. You know, it's kind of hard to run away. I mean, sometimes people try. But once God has you where he needs you and wants you, you know, you really need to go ahead and be obedient and do what he's calling you to do. But So, so he says, you know, you're going to find out when you get to Damascus. God contacts Ananias in Damascus. I love the way he works. I love the way God works things. He says, uh, it says God contacted Ananias in, in Damascus. He tells him to go to Straight Street. Okay? and ask for Saul at the at and to ask for Saul at the house of Judas and so well why does god ask him to do this because he has shared a vision with Saul that a man named Ananias is coming to lay hands on him so that he can see again because you see when he encountered this bright light Paul went blind he it was as if he beheld the presence of god there in that on that road and it was too much you couldn't he couldn't handle that now the others did they, the others the scripture says heard some things but they didn't understand what they were hearing but paul was blinded so paul is blind he's had an encounter with christ and he is at this house of judas and god says look ananias you go to him and bring him some healing Notice how Ananias responds, though. Now, this is so typical of a normal human being. A normal human being even who believes in God. This is a normal response. Look in verse 13. But Ananias answered, "'Lord, I have heard from many about this man, "'how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem.'" and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name now look god i've heard about this man i've heard about him i mm, he's not a good man as if to tell god something he does not know now isn't that funny that's funny to me that's that humorous to me hey god you, you, i know you don't know this but this guy's a bad guy and and he's bothering your saints Notice he said, your saints. God, he's messing with your people. He's messing with them. Uh, uh, you know, that you, I mean, look, uh, you need to know this. <laughs> I think mean, God is kind of, I, I just I wish I could see the face of God when this happened. When Ananias said to him, oh, now look, I think God's up there smiling, going, <laughs> Oh, buddy Ananias. <laughs> I love you, brother, but uh, I know. I know what he's been doing. I've got a plan for Saul. I've got got a plan for Saul. I'm going to do something great with Saul. Just be obedient, Ananias. Be obedient. Just be obedient. I love these pronouns. Ananias never indicates that he is scared of Saul. Just that Saul has done some terrible things to the saints of God. This is the first time, by the way, that they are referred to as saints in the Bible. uh, Those who follow the Lord. Referred to as saints the first time here in this passage. Uh, The word means holy ones. Those who are pure in the sight of God. Those who are pure in the sight of God. Now how are they pure? They're pure by the blood of the Lamb. They're pure because they've received Christ into their hearts for the forgiveness of their sins. And they're walking with Him. And because they've done that, they are seen as holy ones In the sight of God. Despite the hesitancy of Ananias to go, God answers in verse 15 by saying, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, wow. Not only has God intervened, not only has he transformed Saul, he has also transformed the thinking of Ananias. Ananias gets a clue here. He realizes, whoa, okay. So God, you're, you're wanting me. Now I'm thinking, wow, wow. Ananias, when God asks you to go do something, don't you think God is in that situation? Oh, but God, this man is a bad man. Oh, he's really bad. He, he's, he's bothered your saints. He's messing with your family. It's not good. But here it is. He transforms Ananias' thinking. And Ananias understands, oh, you're in this. Oh, God, you are in this. For this man, this Saul, is a chosen instrument of yours. Oh, Ananias is starting to understand here. Oh, he's supposed to bear God's name to the Gentiles and the kings and sons of Israel. Those who didn't believe, those Jews who didn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, for I I will show him how much he must suffer. For my name's sake, it's not going to be an easy road for Saul. It's not going to be easy. But God has planned. God's transformed this life for use by him. And that's what God does when he changes a person. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, so Ananias departed. Ah, we find obedience here. Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Ananias shows his transformed thinking by just being obedient to God. He does it. And he even calls him Brother Saul. I, I, I love it. I think Ananias was probably a Baptist. I just, just I don't know. Just Brother Saul, hey. Uh, but notice, notice though, what is that brother, that brother What is that brother saying? What is the word brother saying? The brother is saying. You're part of the family. You're part of the family. You're my brother. You're part of the family. Wow. Ananias has accepted. That God has transformed this killer. Into an instrument of good use. In the kingdom. And so Ananias understands it. And he's accepted it. And he calls Saul. Brother Saul. He brings sight to Saul. He baptizes him. Saul eats and is strengthened. And in chapter 22, verses 14 through 16, we find a better account of what Ananias said here. It says, And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So here, the ultimate transformation, the ultimate point of transformation takes place. And Saul has accepted that God wants to use him and that his sins have been forgiven. He calls him to be baptized, to wash away his sins, calling on his name. Notice that. He must call on the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us, and you will be saved. And there it is. Ananias told him, said, look, calling on his name, you've got to call on him. Saul is transformed from one who took away life to one who brings life to others. He has been transformed from one way of life to another. From one mindset to another. From one worldview to another. Change has taken place in the life of Saul and now he has a whole, an entirely new purpose in life. Oh man, can you imagine? This guy who was killing Christians is now trying to make more of them. He's trying to make sure that Jesus, the message of Christ is spread. He's he, His goal, his purpose is not to persecute but to elevate, to help these people come to know Christ. And it's incredible to watch this is what God can do in the life of a person who accepts Him as Savior and Lord. God can transform a person. That is the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. He can take a killer and make him pro-life. It can take a hater and turn them into a lover. The gospel transforms lives. The gospel transforms lives. This is the power, the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. My first question for you, has the gospel transformed your life? Has it transformed your life? Has the transformation taken place and is it continuing to take place in your life? There's a day that you probably accepted Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you said, I want to follow Him, and in your heart you said, I want to go to heaven too, but I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to walk with Christ. The transforming power of God needs to continue to transform your life in such a way that you have that purpose in mind every day that you live, that I have the gospel inside of me. I know Jesus. Someone else needs to know Jesus. How do I let them know? How do I help them to know who He is? And that transformation continues every day, helping you, growing you, teaching you. The the next thing, the results of the transformation and the call of Saul. So so, Saul's life is transformed. But is that it? Is his life just transformed? Oh, Oh, now I'm not... Oh, you Christian people, I love you now. Uh, okay. I, you know, I, I can't. It, it's, it's really hard for me. It would be really hard for me to to know someone who hated Christians, That to have that person come to me suddenly one day and say, Oh, well, I love you all now. Yeah, now I don't know. I would be real cautious. I just yeah, you've you hated Christians so long I'm not sure that I believe you. I'm just not sure. Now this is like this is Ananias here. Ananias is like, whoa God, now hey, 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 hey. But God said, no, he's my chosen servant. He's okay. Well, hmm, I just don't know about this. What if I'm somebody other than Ananias? What if I'm someone who's just a a disciple out on the side just looking at this thinking, I don't know. Uh, Look, Saul's life now has a purpose, a calling, a cause for which to live that is most unlike the cause he had been living for. But what came out of this transformation? What comes out of this transformation? Did Saul just sit back then and wait for Jesus to come? (laughs) Is that it? I mean, oh, I've been... I've been changed, now I just sit and wait, and Jesus is going to come back, and I'm going to heaven, and everything's going to be great, and it's just going to be hunky-dory when he comes. Yeah, he's not here yet, but we're waiting. No, there's more to this gospel. He had a calling, just as all Christians do, to share the news of the gospel. So what did Saul do? What did he do? Look at verse 19. And he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Aha. This part of Saul's life gets half a verse, but it is so vital. It is so vital for us to know this. This was something that gave him influence and authority. He was with the disciples. He was able to be there with them, learn from them, to grow in his walk with Christ with them. This is very important that this happens in his life and in any believer's life. People could see that something was different because he was hanging out with the disciples. Now, we, now, this guy was killing them. Well, now he's with them. What's he doing? Is he planning something? Is he going to kill them in a, in a, in a kind of weird mo- way at, at a, su- su- in the middle of the night or something? What's he doing? But they watched, and he continued to be with them. He continued to learn from them. He was not killing them. And that spoke volumes to everyone else out in the public. Everyone who knew Saul wow, something's what is he doing? What is he doing? Verse 20 uh, says, uh, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Oh my goodness, he's now preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. He immediately began to do this, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is not an imposter. He truly is the Son of God, the Messiah. And this is what shook the world This is what shook up those Jews. This is not what you're supposed to be talking about. Jesus is not the Messiah. Whoa, Saul, you're done, gone over the edge. (laughs) Something's not right with you, brother. Ah, but Saul was no longer in that family. He was in a new family. He was in the family of God. And he was preaching the word. In, In verse 21, we see the results of the transformation, even... More when the evidence of who Saul was comes to light. Look at verse 21. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Hey, we know this guy. What in the world's happening? In verse 22, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Oh, man, that's awesome. He just, he, what, what, what did he do? What did he do? Uh, the, he took scripture. Scholars feel that he took the Old Testament scriptures that talked about Jesus and said, look, here he is. Here's what he did. Look what the scriptures said he was going to do. Oh, my they match up. Oh, what? And they were amazed when he did this. What? And he, he used the scriptures that they held high. It's the word of God for the Jews. Hey, the Old Testament scriptures. But they talked about Jesus. And Saul said, this is he. This is the one called the Christ. This is him. They go together. This is the one they're talking about. Jesus is the one they're talking about. What excitement. Must have been on their, in their minds after the amazement that what he, of what he shared with them. Unfortunately, or of course, since Saul was being obedient to the Lord, there were some who did not like him. There were some who did not like this. Oh, no. No, no, no. We don't like this guy. Whenever we are obedient to God, the devil has the, to raise his ugly head and try to stop us. That's what his job is. All right? You know, that's what he does. I mean, the moment you start walking like Jesus is the moment the devil slips up behind you and says, Oh, now, wait a minute. You don't need to be serious about this. There's enough people serious about it. You don't need to be one more. Come on. Back off. Don't worry about this Jesus stuff. There were certain Jews who plotted to do away with Saul. Oh, man. (laughs) They're like, We're going to get rid of him. This is ridiculous. He, this cannot go on. Saul found out about this plot to kill him. These disciples, his new brothers in Christ, it appears that he accumulated, lowered him in a large basket through the wall of the city. And the Bible says after many days, which was a period of three, about three years, as best we can tell, Saul heads to Jerusalem, where he finds that the disciples are not quite sure whether they can believe the transformation of his life. Now, these are the disciples that we talk about, that we know, that followed Christ. They didn't believe it, but Barnabas did. Barnabas believes him, takes, him uh, takes hold of him, and has a meeting with them. And from then on, Saul is speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. Even with the Hellenistic Jews, and these were the Greek Jews, these Greek-speaking Jews, but they are not happy about that. The Hellenistic Jews did not accept Jesus as Messiah, the, the chosen one. God, through Saul's newfound brothers in Christ save him again, and send him to Tarsus. If you've been saved, if you've been transformed, then you have a mission to tell others about Christ. You and I have a mission. And when we do, we will meet opposition. We will not meet as much opposition as we think. Let me say that to all of us today. We think, oh, it's going to be bad and somebody's going to hit us. Nobody's going to take a hand to you. They may at the most just simply say, I don't believe that. Now, has, would that, does that physically harm you to have someone say, I don't believe that. It does not physically harm you. Does it hurt your heart? Yes. But does it physically harm you? If, that's what, if, the, if your concern is physical harm in sharing the gospel, look, I, I dare say you're not ever going to see that here in the states, in a neighborhood where we live. The most you may get is, I don't believe that stuff. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Well, uh, I'll pray for you. Oh, I don't believe in that either. As you back up, I'll pray for you anyway. (laughs) You pray for him anyway. But look, we're, we're, we're not in danger of having our life taken. But Saul, at this point, was. But when we meet opposition, and we will, we're telling them the best news ever. We're sharing with them the gospel message, the transforming message of the gospel. But if you have been transformed, the risk is worth it if people come to faith in Christ. It's worth it stepping out there and saying something about Jesus. It's worth it if someone comes to Christ. Look, you may do it and nobody comes to Christ. You may say something about Jesus and they don't don't inquire more. You You never get into the conversation about what Jesus did for them. Maybe you do get in that conversation. And they still reject. What have you done? You've been obedient. You've been obedient to the Lord. You have shared. I'd rather be obedient in sharing when the moment comes than stepping back and saying, Well, somebody else will talk to him. Surely somebody will talk to them. Let the transformation of the gospel of Christ show in your life. Let it show. Let it show. Has the gospel transformed your life? Can others see it? Can others see that transformation in your life? Can they see it? That's a, hey, let me ask you to do something. Ask a good friend. Ask a good friend this week. Does the fact that I know Jesus show in my life? Hey, you've got a good friend? Ask that good friend. Does the fact that I know Jesus show in my life? Just ask them. If they're a good friend, you're comfortable asking and they're comfortable answering, let them answer and listen closely. Listen closely. Don't get mad at them if they say, well, I I just can't see Jesus anywhere in your life. Don't get mad at them. Think about it. Sit back. Is Jesus showing? Have I been transformed? I want to thank you for listening to Words of Encouragement today. And I also want you to consider, strongly take a look at your own heart and your own life. Have you accepted Christ into your heart? Is He truly Lord of your life? Does He call the shots in your life? Or have you... Displaced him. Are you sitting in the driver's seat of your life? You know, there was a a little license plate you could buy several years ago that said, "God is my co-pilot." Well, you know, (laughs) he actually needs to be the pilot. He needs to be the one in charge. Uh, He needs to be the one calling the shots, making the moves, making the turns. Uh, guiding our lives. We don't need to be that person. We will mess up. So let me ask you, have you given your heart to Christ? Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins, to allow Jesus to come into your heart, and to be in charge of your life? Have you done that? Have you made that decision to follow Christ? Listen, it's not too late. If you're listening to me right now, it is not too late. You can do that right now. You can just simply say to God, Hey, God, I am a sinner. I've done things that are are not pleasing to you, Lord. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins, to come into my heart, and to be in charge of my life. If you really mean that, if you want to do that, you can do that right now. You can tell that to God. Tell Him. Confess your sins. Tell him that you want to be forgiven and you want him to be in charge. If you will do that and mean that with everything that you are and everything that you have, he will come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and be in charge of your life. Now, look, every day you've got to allow him to be in charge of your life. Let him do that. He will forgive you of your sins, but you have to continually let him be in charge. Would you do that? Until next time. Remember, you matter to God and to us at the First Baptist Church of Winsboro.